You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's Something to Talk About, we are discussing Luke chapter 19, the parable of the ten minas. And what we really get into a a chat about here is how this parable is a reflection of our faith. Uh, It was really interesting for me, so I hope this conversation uh, sticks with you guys as well. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Rich. Well, good morning. Uh, I feel like we've been in Luke chapter 19 for a while. It does feel like it's not that I'm complaining, but well, you know, especially after going through Luke 18 all in one week, hitting that all in one Sunday over multiple uh, little vignettes. (coughs) Excuse me. Then we get to chapter 19, and there's there's a flow to this. There's a continuity in the story Mm -hmm. that is is continuing to move to a point. We'll we'll see that next week as well. And the, the following week, and even as we go forward, he's moving into Jerusalem now. So once we get to this place, uh, we're going to see him uh, essentially crowned as king or announced and as king. And it's the stuff and, that most people are more familiar with. Yeah, and, and so with the, with the background of what we've been seeing in the rest of this and being able to see uh, just even in this chapter in Luke 19 where we've been coming from out of Luke 18 talking about how to approach the king as mm-hmm. beggars and the the final story of that with the actual blind beggar approaching Jesus mm-hmm. and then going into the Zacchaeus story which you know it almost becomes trite because we've heard it so much uh, so we kind of don't take it as seriously but it's such a, a, a it's deep not just a cute, story cutesy little song oh my goodness you know we were I was talking about this with one of my sons that man this is a, a clear picture of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And we were talking about the concept of baptismal regeneration. And the story of Zacchaeus kind of precludes that um, because there's no mention of baptism. But there is a clear declaration of salvation. A baptism already existed in John. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this has already been an issue. Um, it, it predates the cross. But there's, you know, when we look at these stories, there's so much in them right. that we don't necessarily dig through and so as christ followers it's not when when jesus calls us to a childlike faith it's not that we don't dig it's that we trust him and what we still wrestle in fact uh we see that so often in so many of these things that we have to wrestle we have to struggle with these things and if we don't if we don't dig in and try to get a hold of the truth then we're never going to actually comprehend what God intends for us to comprehend. Right. We're just going to go along, and it'll be comfortable. And if it's not comfortable, we won't think about it. Right. We're just going to press on. Well, and so, thinking about this, if you know, the idea of going through 19 in one week after we've gone through it for several weeks now is kind of unfathomable, considering everything that's been opened yeah. up. Well, and, and we could right. if we had, you know, if we we're doing like a podcast a day right, right, on right. this to go through it. And you know we have a We're sermon. <laughs> we, you know we have a sermon on Sunday that right. that right, right, right. does the overview, and we hit this whole thing, and then we have a Sunday night service and a Wednesday night service and a podcast, and we can start to yeah, dig sure. into these things. But that's not where we are in in our society or in our church right now. So we want to try to get that balance as best we can. And you know some folks think, man, you're taking so long. How can you take over a year to go through the Book of Luke? And then you got John MacArthur, who's like taking 
three decades to go through one book. That's mm-hmm. probably an exaggeration, but you know, I I feel like we're moving really quickly when I hear about John MacArthur's series sure. going through things because it's so in depth. And there and there are so many others. There's a, a broad spectrum of how folks approach preaching the Bible. But when we're committed to expositional preaching, to, to actually exposing the text, we want to go through line by line, what does it say, what does it mean, how does it fit into the overall story of Scripture, and try to glean from it the fullness of the meaning without adding to it. We don't want to add to the Scripture. We don't want to go above the line. We don't want to take away from it or overlook things and go below the line. We want to stay on the line of Scripture and continue to, to move forward in understanding that every part of it is fully inspired and inerrant and infallible. It's authoritative mm-hmm. and useful for our lives. And God intends it that way. So we want to treat it that way. So uh, at Real Life, we have a high view of Scripture on this Something Real podcast. We have a high view of Scripture. Whatever else happens, we have to deal with circumstances in life. We have to deal with our feelings. We have to deal with our our uh, our, our culture and how we're going to work out those things, our implications. That's the word I was looking for a few minutes ago, uh, a few moments ago. And as we're wrestling with all that stuff ultimately it still comes back to the word what does the word say because if i just start making things up or if i look for some pastor's opinion or some author's opinion and and somebody's going to be out here trying to tell me here's the magic formula on how to have a perfect marriage how to raise perfect children that's easier to buy into when you just skim or you pick out things that you want to pick out well and not to get too far off of of luke 19 where, where we're going here that's when you see so many of the popular authors and, and, and so on, speakers, um, particularly in prosperity gospel kind of thing, we pick and choose scriptures. Mm-hmm. You don't, you can't honestly, with intellectual integrity, come to those kinds of conclusions if you're teaching the whole counsel of God. Right. If right, you're right, going right, right. through all of this and you're approaching it from a, a genre-appropriate interpretive principle, you're looking at the... Proverbs as Proverbs, the Psalms as Psalms, the letters as letters, rather than trying to, you know, retrofit everything into our own framework, our own point of view. When we do that kind of thing, then we can make it say all sorts of things, Mm -hmm. especially if we use translations nobody understands. That's even better. Um, Or if we use really loose translations that are uh, not, or, or we paraphrase the scripture or whatever. And so we'll say, you know, Luke nineteen seven says this, and then we throw words out there that are not anything related to what it says in that text. When we do those kinds of things, or we're light on the amount of scripture we look at, then it's really easy, like you said, for us to make it say something that feels good, mm-hmm. that that seems more practical. And, and I hear that a lot. The Bible is not practical. Well, yes, it is, and God determined that it was practical, and he tells us that it's practical. And if you actually study it and use it, then it's practical. It's not that it's, you know, tried and found worthy. It's that it's found difficult and left untried, to borrow from G.K. Chesterton. That whole concept that, oh, well, you know, the Bible is just, it's so hard to read, it's so dry. Yeah, but you only got like two chapters in. You, You didn't really try if we, if we actually look at the scriptures as what they are and we, we read them honestly, this is an amazing book. And then when we recognize that it's not just an amazing book, it is an amazing book that has shaped the world in so many ways, 
transformed entire societies and civilizations. Western civilization does not exist without the Bible, yeah. and specifically, as, as we know it, without uh, the King James English translation of the Bible to determine our, our, our destiny, if I can say that without sounding too weird and over the top, all of the things that we saw come out of the last couple of centuries in our, uh, in the, our American destiny in particular were shaped by this. Western Europe shaped by this. So, you know, you look at going back to the Reformation when, uh, you know, we were already working on trying to get um, various translations from the Latin so the lay people could actually have the Word of God. That wasn't really the case. And then Gutenberg has the printing press and the Reformation happens and God ordains all these things to happen in a very short order. And all of a sudden, you've got God's word going out to the masses. Right. And when God's word goes out to the masses, then wow, the impact is like a wildfire. It, it's overwhelming. And it changes how we view everything when we get away from man-made religion to the actual word of God. So with Let's that in get mind, back into the actual with, word. <laughs> with that in mind, yeah, right. we're, we want to look at what does 19 say, right? And how does that fit into the overall context? When we're right. looking at the book of Luke, uh, we just saw last week in the Zacchaeus story in, in verse 10, what I would say and many others would say is really the theme verse. Mm -hmm. Not that it's I don't know that Luke would have said, oh, I have a theme verse for this book, but it captures the heart of everything that he's saying, and that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and we see in in Luke's perspective as the only Gentile writer of Scripture, that he's keenly aware. He's very, very um, overtly conscious of the, the outsiders being made insiders by the grace of God in Christ. So we see women elevated, children elevated, um, you know, diverse ethnic groups elevated, uh, the poor elevated, people lifted up by the gospel of Christ. And, and I think what is most profound is that in so much of this, it's the sinners who are elevated. Right. So if we saw all of that from righteous people from all these groups, that might not be as shocking to us. We could understand that. But it's not just that. It's the lepers who were not just sick, but were in Jewish culture representative of the, the presence of sin. Not that they were themselves particularly sinful, but they were they were sinful like the rest of us, but that disease represented in society the presence of sin, just like yeast was symbolic of right. sin. So Jesus went to them mm -hmm. at danger to himself, mm -hmm. as, as we might see it. He's, of course, the Son of God and, and doing what he was called to do. But as he goes to these lepers, he's reaching out not just to outsiders, but to outsiders who represented the, the, the worst part of society. Um, then he looks at, you know, the tax collectors and, and the, the sinners that everybody's criticizing him for being around. So it's not just that you're non-Jewish or you're the wrong side of the tracks. Right. You are specifically wicked. Zacchaeus is an example of that. And the wicked who repent receive grace. Mm -hmm. That's the good news of, of the gospel of the kingdom. The king is going to return. When he returns, the accounts will be settled and that will be a bad deal for you. But in the meantime, he is going to come, or he is here in, in Luke, he is here to save, to rescue those who don't deserve to be rescued, who don't have a reason to be rescued except for his character. He wants to save. 
that leads into this parable of the ten minas, this this unit of money that's you know about three months' wages. And the idea here, it, the parable is not really about the ten minas. We give it you know we you know in these translations we give them headings and titles and, and so on. Call it what you want. Call it the parable of the servants or the faithful servants. I think really if we're going to give it a title, it should be the title of the returning king, because that's what it's about. And he tells us that right out of the gate. While they're listening to him talking to, uh, to Zacchaeus and the crowd about salvation and that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, this is verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because they thought that, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So I read from Zechariah um, in, uh, on Sunday morning uh, and this prophecy of the time when God will bring the nations against Israel and then God will fight against the nations that he brought against Israel and then after that there will be one king one name and we see this picture Zechariah is a wild book but when we look at the prophecy there we'll see that again a parallel to that again as he gets into Jerusalem but that the idea there is that the king is going to come and when the king comes you know, when the son of David enters Jerusalem, we're going to see this kingdom established. Mm-hmm. So the people are anticipating, based on everything Isaiah said, what uh, what we see here in, in uh, Zechariah, what we see in Daniel, that he's going to come, he's going to establish his kingdom, and there will be this rule, the prince of peace, uh, who will rule with this iron scepter, and there will be no more wickedness and no more uh, nations who oppose Israel. God's people will be elevated. Well, when they are now recognizing, hey, this is the guy, this is the Messiah, the son of David, which we've been establishing from way back in the beginning. They're getting that, at least in part, and now we're getting toward Jerusalem. Guess what's going to happen now? Oh, buddy, we're going to get there. He's going to take the throne, kick the Romans out. God will be glorified. The, The people of Israel will be lifted up. This is what we've been waiting for. And Jesus knows they're talking about this. Maybe he hears them talking about it. Maybe it's just that he knows it. And to shut that down, he tells them this parable. Hold up a second. And he's just addressed this like a chapter before in, in what was it, 17. Um, yeah, the end of 17. He says the coming of the kingdom of God uh, is not something that can be observed the way you think it can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And the time, the time is coming when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, one of these days when I'm with you, but you won't see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Don't go running off after them for the Son of Man, and his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then he compares it to the days of Noah and the days of, uh, of uh, Lot escaping Sodom and Gomorrah. So there will be a final judgment when he comes. Everybody's going to know it. It's not going to be like this today. Right. Today, I'm here as, as the gentle king, the savior. But the time's going to come when I'm going to return as the king to settle accounts and be done. So that's what this parable is, is actually telling them is, no, it's not going to happen now. We're going to get to Jerusalem. But just like I said before, the Son of Man's going to be rejected. But hold on. Wait for it. It's coming. And when it comes, let me find you being faithful to the work that I've given. Because those who are on 
board with my agenda, those who are doing the work that I give to them, regardless of how well they do it or how many you know abilities they have or how much fruitfulness they have, when they're faithful to my mission, they're on my team, they're on my side, and that'll be good when I return. There'll be reward for them. Those who are not, maybe they go to church, maybe they call themselves my servants, but if they're not doing my work, then they're not on my team. We're going to reckon them the same as those who reject altogether. And so this parable kind of lays that out. And he talks about in verse 12, a man of noble birth who went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So Jesus, born, uh, born in Bethlehem from the line of David, of noble birth, he's this, this royal line. And then he's going to leave after the crucifixion, resurrection, and his ascending, he leaves for a distant country. Mm -hmm. And in this period of time that we're in now, he is receiving the crown. He is being crowned king so that he can eventually return. Notice it's a distant country. It's not the same. It's not like we get to observe it. Right. And they don't know when he's coming back. But he tells his servants, he calls 10 of his servants together, gives them 10, ten minas, 10 units of money. And he says, put this money to work until I come back. So right there already, we have the concept of what we're seeing in this parable, that he is not with us presently, He's but gonna come back. he will return. You don't know when he's going to return. He has an expectation that you will work on behalf of the kingdom until he returns. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to describe that the one servant you know, gets a tenfold return, the one gets a five-time return, uh, and then one does nothing. Doesn't lose it, doesn't squander it. He just tucks it away, it away and hides it uh, because he doesn't trust the character of the king. Those who, regardless of whether they got ten back or five back, that's not really the point. Those who are faithful are rewarded. Mm -hmm. They're given more responsibility. They're given glory. Uh, he even says, well done, good servant. But the one who doesn't do anything with it because of fear, because of you know selfishness, whatever it is, doesn't have that trust, that faith in the character of the king that when he returns, what he does will be good. So they don't act on his behalf. They don't trust that that's the right thing. He comes back and treats them, he calls them wicked servant. And then at the end of it, <laughs> after taking the, the 10 minas that he already has, or take the, the mina that he has, gives it away uh, to the one that already has everything. Right. A, a reference to the fact that when we're faithful in our responsibility, we gain more responsibility. And mm -hmm. if we're not, then the responsibilities that we have are, are taken from us. There's a condemnation that goes with that. But he ends very abruptly with this idea that those enemies of mine, those who rejected the king, says that his subjects didn't want him to rule over them. That's the human race. We, we don't right. want him calling our shots. We love autonomy. So that's why consent is the whole issue for every issue of morality in our world today. I get to choose. A woman's right to choose to murder a baby. Uh, uh, you know, my choice to do whatever I want to do with my body, whether I want to, you know, your baby's one. choice on whether you want to change their diaper. <laughs> if I if I want to, um, you know, love one person for the rest of my life, or I want to love multiple people for the rest of my life, I want to love multiple people at the same time. I want to marry my cat. All these things we we have this. I want to be a tractor. Crazy idea right. that we get to call the shots in right. life. And what we're saying is, I don't want you to be my king. You you might be the king, but you're not my king. It's 
It's absolute insanity. And Jesus says in verse 27, those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. There's a judgment coming, just like there was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and Lot escapes by God's grace, and the judgment falls. Noah, delivered from the flood by God's grace, both of them sinful individuals, but delivered by God's grace, and the judgment comes, and then it's too late. Once, once the ark is floating, it's too late People for you to People are scrambling, but yeah, yeah. And the same thing now, when he returns, everybody's going to be going about their business because we don't know when the king's coming back. But when he does, it's too late to change your mind. So. What's interesting to me here about this parable is when the king uh, is talking to his servants before he leaves, he, at least if I'm remembering it correctly, and you just read it five minutes ago, um, he doesn't necessarily promise them anything. He doesn't say, put this money to work, and when I get back, you'll get this, this, this. Put this money to work, and you'll be rewarded. He doesn't right. say any. He doesn't. He's not promising them anything. So, it, so it's a clear picture to me of nothing but faith from those servants. That's a good take. Yeah, I had, because I had he's not, that. you know, saying do the, if this, then this. Right. Um, so on one hand, I, wow, I that is such a good observation. You know, when, when we when we look at it, there's so much of being taught today. And again, you know, not to bang the same drum over and over, but we see the pervasiveness of this prosperity teaching, what some call the health and wealth gospel. We it it's kind of stained everything that we sure. do, yeah. even in evangelical churches that have a high view of scripture. We still end up stained by that mentality that. If I do this, then God does this. And if I don't do right. this, then right. God doesn't do I've, this. I've been in that mindset. And I mean, we've talked about this, like, am I doing the wrong thing and is God punishing me for this? Right, blah, blah, yeah. Blah, you so, know. We, you know, the converse of the prosperity gospel right. is that God is, it, it kind of presents God as stingy with his gifts. Right. And so he only gives us good gifts when we're, if we right. do just the right thing. And we figure out the code, the faith code, and we have right. just the right amount of faith. If I give this much money or if I do these many good right. deeds. or yeah. So then the, the, the backside of that is if something's going wrong in my life. God must be punishing me. God's punishing me. Right. Well, all the punishment for our sin, which we're told what the wages of sin is, right? right. It's death. It's there, there's no it's not little, a spoiler. That's what it's <laughs> not this little slap on the wrist. Oh, right. you know, I'm going to make your my life pencil, hard for a while. Yeah, right. my pencil broke, so God's punishing me. Right. That's not how this works. What a pathetic view of sin, and what a pathetic view of God. Yeah. The punishment for sin is separation from God, period, death only. So all of the punishment for our sin when we're in Christ has already fallen on Christ. Mm -hmm. There's no punishment that remains. Is there discipline? Yes, because God's trying to steer us back. into the right, right direction. Right. Just as I, you know, when I, there's a difference between beating my child and disciplining my mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. I don't beat my child out of wrath. You must pay because you violated my, my, you know, whatever. I don't do that with my children. But I do everything that I can, even if it hurts them in the moment, to steer them to where they need to be to become all that they're meant to be. And right. God does that with right. his children. Anybody who loves their children does that. And that's not the same idea. So when we get into this thought that we should serve God, because if we serve God, then God's going to make our, right. our our whole path smooth. Understand that in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says he makes our path straight. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say he makes them smooth. It's a narrow way. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult way. But it's his way. 
And it's the only way to borrow from Bunyan to get to the celestial city. It's a difficult journey. You're borrowing from a lot of people. I I do that because I don't have a lot of original (laughs) thoughts. It's pretty much, I don't have any original thoughts. It's either in the scriptures or somebody else has already thought it about the scriptures. Or it's a random pop culture reference. Yeah, well, that's usually <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, as we're as we're working through this, the observation that you made, which I I kind of regret that I didn't uh, think of that or see that part of it and develop that a little bit more. I'm is very really, perceptive. It's really significant <laughs> because we have a tendency in church world to do that. We in, serve in the world in general, for what we get, right? You know, it's like you know, my kid's going to obey me if I pay them to do the chores, right? Now. There's there are reasons to do that. Right, I don't want to take right. away from that. There are principles that you can teach that way. But if my child, if I say, hey, I need you to do the dishes, and they say, well, what am I going to get out of it? Right. What you're going to get is I'm not going to uh, smack you down right now, right? I Cos- probably shouldn't the, say that the, on the podcast. Yeah. People are going to come up the my Cosby door The Cosby Show. Now. I brought you into this world. I'll take you. Well, that's right. You know, that's... Uh, and, and, that's a pretty good picture. You see how how the Cosby Heathcliff, Show had a lot of good advice. <laughs> There's a lot of smacking references in those old uh, old comedies. But you know when you see Heathcliff Huxtable addressing these things yeah, with not Bill Cosby at with, <laughs> with his you know you know Theo comes and says, well you know what do I get? You get to live. Right. What, what, right. I gave you birth. I feed you. I clothe you. You have a roof over your head. Shut up and do what I told you. And, and, and God doesn't promise here. Right. This isn't part right. of the parable. It's not serve and good things will happen to you. Right. It's serve because serving is the good that thing. That would be a totally different story here if, if, if uh, this king was like, here, I'm going to give you 10, ten minas or one yeah. mina. Uh, and if you get a return on or you, you know, grow it, then I'm going to put you in charge of these cities. No, he didn't say that right. because then it would have been the 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 underlying factors of why these servants were doing anything would be totally skewed. Well, and and there is a there's a difference in the reward. Right. You notice that the one who gets ten right. back. Right. But gets they didn't know that going respond. into it. That's right. So they're didn't doing matter. it because they love the king. Right. And that was kind of how we focused on the the application of this stuff on Sunday was that if we love the king, then this. Right. You know, his. That's his, the only if then in here. That right. Be. Yeah. So his, then his purpose becomes our passion you know the things that he cares about that that's what we care about then if we love him and i think this is really kind of the the key and that observation really hits it if we love him then his pleasure is our reward Mm -hmm. so we're not doing it so we can get stuff we're doing it so we can please the master Mm -hmm. and if we do it so we can get stuff then does that require loving him no that's a business transaction right then we're and, and Paul talks about that too. You don't, you're, you're not getting a gift when you do something when you provide a service and you get paid. That's not generosity. That's a deal. That's how it works. Yeah, and, when you love somebody, you know, shovel your mom's driveway not because you expect you know her to give you money or. Man, anything, mom didn't pay me last right, week. I'm not shoveling her right, driveway anymore. Right. That, that's not how love works. I'm thinking works. about snow. It's because it's really yeah, hot today. Yeah. Dislike. <laughs> it's early in the morning. You know, not early, but it, you know, it's. 10 something in the morning and it's already pushing 85 at this point so yeah michigan's a very cold state right anyhow um as as we look at this that the whole thing kind of comes together in this this notion this this concept or core reality that 
those who love the Lord are passionate about serving the Lord until he comes. He is coming. And when he comes, he asked this question previously, will he find faith? Will he find us faithfully doing what he's given us to do? And there is a lot of work for us to do. Mm-hmm. It's not my work. It's not to go out and try and make a buck and all these other things. Not that there is no place for that. But it's within the auspices of his kingdom agenda. So if I'm going out and I'm, uh, I'm the best you know, business person or investor, to, to borrow from this, uh, the, in the entire world, but I miss out on doing it for the kingdom, mm-hmm. then I've missed out on everything. If I do my best to live for him and... I, do, I don't win a bunch of people to Christ, but I'm constantly aware that people need the Lord and I want to reflect the reality of him uh, in the relationships that he gives me, then that faithfulness is rewarded even if I'm not Billy Graham. You're the five you know. minas guy. Right. And, and that is... And that's not, something to be, I, that's not something to be frowned upon, I don't no, think. No, no. Like we not see in that in this parable, this guy here. gets 10 minas, this guy gets five minas, and you know, in our humanness, we want to compare that. Like, we oh, well, this guy isn't as good. And but the devil wants us to do that, right. wants us to think in those but terms. But that's not what it's suggesting here. Not at all. It's the faithfulness rather than the, than the effectiveness right. that's being rewarded. Uh, it's been said by, by others, it's not about your ability, it's about your availability. If you're on his team, if you're fighting for his cause, if you're working for his kingdom, then he rewards you as faithful in that. And if you don't, all your reasons why don't matter. Mm-hmm. You, if you've rejected him as king, whether openly, like those who sent a delegation to, to try to keep him from being crowned king, they get killed, or more subtly, I'm going to stay here, pretend to be on, you know, I'm going to be on the payroll, pretend to be on the team, but I'm not going to do what he called me to do. Well, you're still the same as those who overtly opposed right. him. Right, you're not and fooling you anybody. Know. And in Matthew, you have the same, the, the same end. Right. The one who is an unfaithful, wicked servant is tossed out with the unbelievers, with the wicked. That's how it works. So if we love him, then we show it. If we don't show it, then we don't love him. We're not earning it with the work that we're doing, but because we belong to him, because we're aligned with him in our hearts or allied with him, then we will do what is commensurate to that. So uh, that's kind of the nature of love. Love acts always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we talk about love and we don't do anything You can tell someone you love them 7,000 times. That I've, doesn't mean... I've talked to a number of people who divorced their mate saying, well, I still love them. Right. Actually, you don't. Right. You know, that, that's not how love works. It's not how any of this works. So we, love and action always go together. Faith and action always go together. They're not things that you can separate. And we were just having this discussion yesterday, and I'll, I'll stop talking after this. But we're not saved by our works, mm-hmm. but we are saved for works. There's an intentionality that God has for us that we are to do his work when we are his people. That is a good place to stop, so we will. Uh, it's going to be our our. Th- Friday episode is going to be a little different this week. We have uh, one of our missionaries coming to speak at church. Mm-hmm. So we are going to uh, pause on Luke for the week. So uh, we'll get into a different discussion on our Friday episode. Fear not. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Thanks, guys. <laughs>